0: Welcome to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. My name is John Sikotowski. I'm one of the hosts here on the podcast, and this podcast is designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. In this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast, you're going to hear from lead pastor Nick Gibson as he interviews Carl and Barb Sherbeck. Carl and Barb are a couple that has now been married for 60 years, which... Nowadays is a little bit of a modern miracle. So they're going to talk about what it looked like to be married for that long, what it looked like to follow God through their marriage, uh, as well as just some of the other stories from their life married together. They were missionaries as well as have served faithfully in God's church. So it should be a really fun podcast. Take a listen.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm here with Barb and Carl Sherbeck. Uh, Barb and Carl attend our church. They are retired missionaries. They were on the field for years, as you're going to hear, and they've also been married this year for 60 years. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of exciting. We'll talk about a little bit that at the end, hopefully. But um, since not everybody knows who you all are, and of course they won't get a good sense of your face from the podcast, but hopefully they'll be able to put together your story with you when they meet you. So... Um, why don't you guys take us back to your conversion, like how you got saved, how you got discipled, and maybe how you... um, if People who are involved in global missions often talk about almost a second conversion to understanding that Jesus was for the whole world and that they were meant to be part of that, either as senders or as people who go. So maybe you could tell us about both of those conversions, how you came to Christ originally, and then how it came to be that you... Understood that God may be calling you outside of the culture in which you found yourself.
2: Okay, um, I'm, I'm a Wisconsin boy. Uh, I was born and raised uh, a couple of hours north of here in a rural area. I went to a rural school and uh, was bussed to uh, a high school. And uh, just last week, we attended the 65th anniversary of my graduating class, which was
1: kind of fun. How big was the class that you graduated from? I don't
2: know. Well, there were 30 of us there. Okay. So we're there uh, probably were not much over 100. Or okay. around 100. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, as I remember also, we went to, or I went to, a, a little country church. Little, I suppose that needs a little explanation. But I suppose in Sunday school we had around thirty, and uh, and uh, I enjoyed Sunday school very much. I enjoyed those people who gave themselves to teaching us. Um, as far as coming to Christ, uh, the language was not strange. The idea was not strange, but uh, it just takes the prompting of the spirit. To bring that uh, bring that into experience, and this happened for me when uh, our church had a a series of evangelistic meetings, mm-hmm. and uh, this would be something maybe a few of my my fellow congregants here at the church will know about, but uh, we had usually an annual. Week or so of special evangelistic meetings,
1: and there was yeah. a guy. They still do that uh, in the South. South. Yes, they yeah. call it a revival. They yeah. Just, yeah. just we're going to have a revival, and right. they have like <laughs> you no know, yeah. meetings.
2: And uh, so there was this uh, there was this preacher named Alex Torval, Scandinavian guy, mm-hmm. and he um, he circulated among the churches, and we were associated kind of loosely with uh, uh, Evangelical Free Church. Which had a different name back then, or something about.
1: Uh, yeah. It was two different yeah. churches, right? It was this a Swedish Evangelical Church, and then there was like another. There were, th- yeah, there were, uh, I think, smaller groups. I learned this in seminary because I went to the Evangelical Free Church Seminary. Sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, there were two, both Scandinavian mm-hmm. denominations That's right. that joined mm-hmm. to become. Yeah. And it, historically, what I. Oh, I, we should note that we are all sitting in glider rocking chairs and you will hear Carl rock from time to time. <laughs> but um, the Evangelical Free Church is the only church in the history of the United States that after two denominations merged into a single denomination, that denomination grew. Mm-hmm. Every, in, the, in the entire history of the United States, every time denominations consolidate, they continue to decline. Mm-hmm. And that one is the only one that seems to have Joined mm-hmm. entirely out of a desire for unity mm-hmm. rather than as a consolidation because it was declining mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that might be true you <laughs> know, uh, I know that the uh, Norwegian branch uh, Has a lot of negatives, negatives to say about the the non-norwegian branch for sure and vice versa <laughs> but uh, uh, You know there is there is a definite
1: they came together somehow, yeah, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> so then, you were brought—were you brought up in a Christian family? It just took a I while for you I was brought up to... in a
2: Christian family. My mother was a was a believer, and my uh, my dad was a hanger on, sort of. He uh, didn't oppose it, but it wasn't in his heart yet. For a number of years, before he died, he did it. come to Christ and confessed Christ in a, in a significant way, and. I suppose i should say that uh in his conversion uh the ministry of the gospel by radio was very important oh, really? he listened faithful both faithfully to the radio bible class if anybody would remember that that mm-hmm. was uh based in michigan yeah.
1: yeah you know my brother that was a big part of his discipleship I mean, people mm-hmm. don't even think that now like radio ministry they think yeah. That's like missions back in 1920 or something. But, okay. you know, we grew up in rural New York where there were two cows for every person, you know. Mm-hmm. And my brother would listen at like 8.30 at night to Chuck Swindoll preaching on some radio station. Mm-hmm. And it was through Christian radio that he was discipled in that right. way. It was even, I mean, that was would have been in the late 1980s, early 1990s. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah.
2: So, um, yeah, I came, came to the Lord in a... Uh, Response to an invitation in uh, one of these revival meetings and uh, it, it meant a lot to me and that, that, um, I always look back to it and uh, I, I just believe that uh, something happened then and I haven't looked back and uh, I mean look back in terms of uh, Turning away from it. Uh-huh. It's always been uh, Yes, I'm a child of God and yes, uh, my life was no longer, no longer my own. And if I once thought it was, that was an error. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so I, uh, I I look back with with a lot of uh, thanksgiving to God's grace and His calling me to himself. Mm-hmm. The church was only a quarter of a mile from home. <laughs> so often we would walk down. And just a couple of weeks ago we were up there Saw the place where the church was. No longer the building's no longer there. And uh, saw the place where I was born. I was born at home, not in a hospital. And, um, and uh, I remember, uh, uh, you know, over a dozen years ago, I took the family up there, and I said, "Well, kids, this is where your dad was born," <laughs> and they responded. Out here, (laughs) because there were no buildings, (laughs) no, no evidence that there ever was human life there. What
1: year were you
0: born?
2: I was born in, um, well, I can't
1: remember, thirty-five. Thirty-five. Yeah. 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 So people don't even realize, like younger people, they don't even realize that people couldn't really get antibiotics until the forties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they just. The idea that you could mm-hmm. be born before hospitals could do anything for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a, pe- a lot of older mm-hmm. people. Like, you, you know, I used to visit older people and they say, I don't want to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. People, people die in hospitals. Mm-hmm. And that's partly because it's true, people die in hospitals. But it's also true that in the 1930s, that's mainly what people did mm-hmm. in hospitals. Mm-hmm. The, the number one expense hospitals mm-hmm. had in the 30s and 40s was linens. Mm-hmm. Like, the most expensive thing they did was change beds. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so people don't they have no conception of that time now, you know, mm-hmm. okay, so you became a Christian and then what happened?
2: Uh, well, I, I went to this high school Bondwell High School and uh, Afterwards I didn't have any you know real direction didn't really have a definite plan about going on to school uh, my generation uh, it certainly wasn't, a, it wasn't or me. at least in my area, it wasn't the norm right. for you to go on to college. But I considered it, and I was home for a year after high school graduation uh, because we were farmers, and my brother, my brother who was older than me, uh, was called into the military, and so he was away in his service, and uh, so I. Uh, I was um, considered to be an essential. I, I didn't go to the military because I had to help on the farm, uh-huh. which uh, was all right. I I don't look back on those days with any negative feelings at all. It's just a good part of my life that's behind me. Uh-huh. Um, and I, uh, as I said, I came to the Lord at I think I told you eleven years old, which uh, it was very real, although. Um, I was still pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. So you went to Moody Bible Institute? Yeah, so that that year after my brother came from his military service, uh, I had made arrangements and went off to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And uh, What year is that, do you know? That would be in... Uh, 58. What? 58? F- 50. F- no, not fifty-eight. That's when we were married. Oh
3: yeah, fifty-five. Fifty.
2: 55. 50 I probably went in fifty-three.
1: So no, how, I graduated no, in fifty-three. So how 55. close was that to when Nathan Saint and Jim Elliott and those guys died? Yeah, in we, were the we, we, died. Were we were at we were Moody. at Moody Bible Institute happened? when that happened. Mm-hmm. You were. You were yeah. already at my. What was that like?
3: Oh, it was Because these were
1: Chicago kids, right? They'd gone to Wheaton, which is like 25 miles away. And they'd gone into global missions.
3: It impacted the the whole student body. And, um, well, one of the things that happened with Carl when we were at Moody, he was asked um, to lead the Muslim prayer band. When I went, I already was committed to missions, and I went in the missions course. But I was going to those. And we had... Met each other already. So, um, yeah, we began to see more and more. um, It seemed like every chapel speaker was talking about the need in the Muslim world and how little money was going there and how few people were going there. And then we we were praying and we actually prayed for the place we ended up in. Uh, It had just Started up a hospital in the desert,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, and it pulled at us at the time, and we tried to go there, but the field chairman at that time said, "Well, you don't have any medical experience. I don't know how we would fit you in.
2: Right.
3: A little short-sighted, because you need other things with any institution. Right. You need maintenance. You need a generator. You know, you need." So that's, mm-hmm. w- at first, when we ended up there, that's mm-hmm. where Carl fit in mm-hmm. well.
1: It's hard to bring your farming skills to the desert yeah. in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know, learn It something was really else.
2: disappointing, you know. Yeah. One time we took uh, rhubarb uh out <laughs> and then you know, they just died right
1: off. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I thought I could make rhubarb grow on a sand hill. <laughs>
1: yeah, that <laughs> it didn't, didn't work, work. turned it out. It didn't work. Oh, no, <laughs> sad. So, okay, so you did two years at Moody? Is that right? Uh, Three years. Three, yeah. three years at Moody. Three years. Mm-hmm. And then you wanted to go to missions. You graduated, got married the next day. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this would be 57, 58? 58. 58. 58. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you wanted to go to the mission field, but they said, why don't you do something else first?
2: Uh, right. The uh, counsel from you know, from the team that was counseling was at, at the mission headquarters uh-huh. said, you know, it would be good for you to spend a couple of years in uh, in actual ministry here in the States. And uh, of course, I have no idea why they th- thought that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was obviously mature. And,
1: uh, <laughs> How old were you at this
2: time? <laughs> <laughs> early, early 20s? Yeah, early 20s. But uh, yeah. they, uh, we, we accepted that without question, you know,
1: and, uh, I know, listen, I know young people who feel called to missions, they say they want to go to missions, and somebody says, you should do this before you do that, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and they just won't hear a thing about it, mm-hmm. you know, like that you should get some education, or that you should mm-hmm. do some ministry before you go, and they're mm-hmm. just like, you don't believe, they, their response is, you don't believe in me, yeah. or you don't believe mm-hmm. God has spoken mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. and it's sad to hear that. because yes, it is, because
2: yeah. certainly as I look back, I would say, well that was certainly good advice, yeah. You know I can't put uh, lay out to you exactly what I learned in those two years, three years in, uh, in serving oh. that little church. Uh, but but there were there were definitely lessons and definitely some guidance and development in my mind and my heart mm-hmm. uh, that came from them. And of course from the, I, I did go on to oh, two, for two years to get a uh, you know get an initial degree college degree mm-hmm. at Fort Wayne Obama College. Yeah. and again that was that was good background mm-hmm. and uh i I can't say that I felt like well I really had all I needed, and I could do anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that way i felt yeah that I was still a beginner, had a lot to learn, mm-hmm. and uh the Lord gave me a, a a mind and an attitude to keep learning mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. And I think that uh, that's probably one of the keys, that, mm-hmm. that uh, m- my response mm-hmm. to the Lord uh, mm-hmm. was positive. And uh, the Lord has used us in ways that we never dreamed. Yeah.
1: So let's talk a little bit about your, your time on the field. So mm-hmm. you went to the Arabian Peninsula, mm-hmm. and you were there about a year.
3: We were there for a full term.
1: Before you went to language school?
3: Uh, well, uh, or was that no, part of after the term? Yeah. two years, I think yeah. it was. We were,
1: we were there two years.
2: Uh, then they and sent us And in the meantime, to... you see, uh, we were sent... Well, we tell people we went to the UAE in 1966 on January uh, yeah. 26th. Um, we went there temporarily. And uh, and uh, thirty-six years later, we left. <laughs> and that, that so was you didn't this. think that UAE is
1: where you were going to do your ministry to Muslims? No, we
3: thought God was... Because we had asked about going there, and they had said, Well, you don't have any medical skills. So okay. our focus went to Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were raising our support, and we almost had all of our support um, there. and. And that we had for months or maybe it was two years that we had been applying, we had applied for a visa and there was no answer. So we asked team what should we do and they said if we press them for an answer, they're right now they're denying visas. So we'd rather not press them. Mm -hmm. And so then we said well what can we do as we're about ready? So they said well there's a need for you in the Oasis Hospital. So, um, in six Mm -hmm. weeks, we were there. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh wow! And it was easy to get a. uh, It was easy to get a visa for that. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you went there. You served there for a couple of years. Yeah. And then you went to language school.
3: We'd try again for the visa, but once we got there, we saw there was a huge niche.
1: Oh, you try to get a visa to Pakistan?
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had about two years. Our request had been in.
1: Okay, it, for yeah. Pakistan. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So. so, okay, so you did that for a little while, and then you went to language school in Amman, Jordan, mm-hmm. and learned some mm-hmm. Arabic. Yes. Which turned out to be helpful.
3: Mm. Yeah. yeah. It was a different dialect than the Bedouin people were using in the Gulf. But and we had some lessons mm-hmm. while we were there the first year and nine months I think it was and. Mm-hmm and they sent us because we were able to see a place for us there truly mm-hmm. and, uh, and we committed to staying on the field so then they sent us to the language
1: school so what can you say a little bit about how you felt like there was a place for you there because I think um, missionaries want to m- most missionaries go because they want people to know about Jesus right and yet mm-hmm. oftentimes you're entering countries for some other work Mm-hmm. In order to have the opportunity for that, so you know, Han, you know, Hannah's in a large Asian country teaching English, so that mm-hmm. she can do that yeah. kind of thing. We have other missionaries who are going to a large Asian country as um, uh, milk production specialist veterinarians, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. right, but but they want to go there so that she, they can share Jesus. Mm-hmm. You guys went and you worked in a hospital, right? Yeah. How, how do you how do you as a missionary say I'm going to go and I'm going to do this other job? But yet, I, I'm hoping that it's going to lead to this ministry. Mm-hmm. How, well, how, do you, how do you do that? It,
3: team's primary focus was church planting.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And actually, the people that went and thrived, you know, and, and made that hospital happen, in the hospital had such a huge impact on the people. Because they had had nothing, no medical help of any kind, no one in the society that knew how to help deliver a baby.
1: Well, what every woman the hospital was a, open in
3: 1960. 60. Yeah, so mm-hmm.
2: it opened in 60, and uh, okay. it's, it's very interesting that the first, mm-hmm. well, the the ruler at that time uh, was very open to having missionaries. He knew about some of the other hospitals up the coast uh-huh. in Kuwait and in Bahrain. Uh, that uh, and and he knew some of the people from there, and they spoke very highly of those hospitals. Um, and so mm-hmm. our ruler, the time Sheikh uh, uh he um, he. Uh, registered a a request um, through his friends in those cities that is there some way that that hospital or that organization could come here Um, and that was a free reformed church mission Uh Uh, well going back to uh, what's his name (laughs) famous uh, Mm. Zwimmer, Samuel Zwimmer, known as the father of Christians to the Muslim world or the Arab world.
3: (coughs) They didn't have anyone. And they said they
2: didn't have anyone, but we know of someone who could possibly come. And so uh, our pioneer doctor and his wife and their children uh, and a couple of other people went in and started to work.
1: So, how, like, is this like a seven bed thing or is it like? That's how it started. was oh,
2: it, about a seven bed, probably.
3: Yeah, and the births were the main thing that were coming in. Okay. And they actually said later on f- their hospital's fiftieth anniversary, if you had not come, we would be extinct by now, because they were losing babies and mothers, babies and mothers with these births were. They didn't the Mortality
2: know what rate to do. was uh, just a uh, you know. Really bad. Very yeah. bad, yeah.
3: So that was the head of the country at the time who said that.
2: So the man who, uh, he, the, the man, the first son of ruler. I guess it would be, no, maybe not first For son. Evil? But uh, one of the first births in that new clinic mm-hmm. was Mohammed bin Zayed, who uh, He's the heir we parent. see him once in a while on the television. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is—he uh, is a foreign minister and the the Arab parent in the UAE, okay. uh, the Arab parent of Abu Dhabi state, really. Okay. Um, but he has a very open mind and uh, has been very much in close touch with some of our key people. Wow. Um.
1: Um. <coughs> so okay, so you came back after you did language school. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you started to just begin to have gatherings at your house. And you, you just started yes. with the Ministry of mm-hmm. Hospitality because mm-hmm. that's really big in Middle Eastern and a lot of, actually, Asian cultures, a lot mm-hmm. of cultures around the world, but very big among Arab yeah. people, right? Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. Our, um, our mission came with the idea that we moved to the coast.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And... Um, that was while we were home on our first furlough, and so when we came in '72, we went to the coast, and I didn't know I had this gift of hospitality. I was, I was doing what they do, and doing it not with the local people, but with the Arabs that were coming in, that were working there, and suddenly they were getting oil out of the ground and the country started booming and they needed a lot of workers. So there were workers from all over the Arab world coming in, mm-hmm. but not just that. China and the Philippines, yeah, right. and just everywhere they were coming. So you
1: guys were there before the oil boom? Mm. Uh, yes. They knew it, it was in the started. ground but they hadn't gotten but,
2: anything out. Know, they, they knew it was there but hadn't begun uh, producing until about the same time as we went there.
3: In fact, okay. it's interesting that the, um, the head of Saudi government came down to the emirates and he rebuked them because they had allowed this mission to come in, start a hospital. And uh, the ruler at the time said, you go back to Saudi and read the Quran. We're supposed to respect the people of the book. Mm -hmm. And they're people of the book. And they came here before the oil. And that just settled it in the minds of the people. So because you were there before the oil, oil. they were
1: like, Mm -hmm. they didn't come here for the oil. They were here before that. Oh, wow, that's really, that's very providential, it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So you started just opening your home, whoever Mm -hmm. wanted to come, and it was a mixture of people.
3: Yeah, after every service, we'd we'd serve them, and we just, we're always having guests in the house, Mm and... And, and I really enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't a burdensome thing.
2: When we came back from language school, uh, within the next few months, we started a weekly Bible study in our home for that would be Arabs from other countries, not for the local people. Uh, we did have a ministry in the hospital to mm-hmm. introduce uh, the Bible and, and Jesus and the Gospel to them. But this was an additional thing, and we did it in our home. And uh, um, I still remember some of the guys who came regularly. Guys, because the expat population of Arabs, particularly, was uh, basically single men or uh, men who came without their families. Uh, That was that was just the kind of. jobs they could get
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah so so you did that for a while and your house filled up mm-hmm. and then you moved to the roof which is flat in that area of the world so that makes sense
0: yeah if you know that
1: yeah and then yes. at some point you were you decided that you know some kind of church maybe yeah, that was well.
2: uh, on our second term uh, when we had moved to the capital city on the coast of a mm-hmm. The uh, our initial contacts were in the hospital, which is a hundred miles inland okay. in the desert in an oasis area. Um, so, this so was at
1: that point, you were trying to plant a church.
2: Yeah, and yeah. I had a lot of other uh, responsibilities. I I was the representative for for Oasis Hospital to go to the government offices that if we needed a uh, if we needed a visa. For someone to come in and work there, mm-hmm. we would have to go through a procedure that <coughs> initially was cared for by the British consul, And then when uh, the UAE became a state, they began to develop departments, government departments.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you did stuff for the <coughs> hospital, but you were... Have, you're having people at a Bible study at your house, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then that mm-hmm. got filled, your house filled up, and then your roof filled up, and then mm-hmm. you realize you're going to have to try well, to build a church in a Muslim country. And Ooh. the landlord,
3: um, oh right, you who had built that house mm-hmm. and uh, rented it to us. He uh, came and said, "Well, um, I I need to do- a quadruple your rent because all these people were coming in, and he wanted." You know, they were oil people, and he could get a lot more rent out of them, so he thought he'd try with us. And um, and that he had to have it two years in advance. So if they had some property or land and built the building, they'd require all the apartments. You had to pay two years in advance. Mm-hmm. Then they had the money to go and build another one.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And it, so... That just the way it was working,
1: and that was a. That's we a, I'm just that's couldn't a lot of money. do that
3: as a mission. Yeah, yeah. So, um, he went to the ruler and he asked if he could give us some land for, to build housing. And he, the ruler asked, "Well, are you, are you wanting to build a church too on the land I give you?" And Carl said. Well, not at this time, we wouldn't build a church, but you need to know wherever we live, people are gonna come to our home and they're gonna pray with us. And he said, well, I can give you land that you can build a house on it that's just for that, but it can't look like a church. It can't have a cross, it can't have a steeple. We wouldn't even have thought to do that. We would have thought that was underhanded. Mm-hmm. To do that, but he gave us land. We could have constructed four buildings. We we made three buildings and uh, One of them was the building used for the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like our house only in reverse kind of you know and all the upstairs was Sunday school and his office and Downstairs would hold about 200 people so well wow. we went on like that and then when an 88 came along both the Arab church and the international church had called pastors, and we felt okay, now we can move on to Dubai. So that got mm-hmm. us yeah. where we were till the end of our time there.
1: Okay, so you're in Abu Dhabi then, and then after mm-hmm. that, they had pastors. Then you said, Well, let's go mm-hmm. to Dubai. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Both the, both the uh, international church, English speaking, and the Arabic church had their own pastor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I guess that has been interesting but the Arabs
1: were still expats they
2: were still expats so they weren't citizens of they were not local citizens
1: okay and so the sheik felt like it was his responsibility to protect the locals from you but not all Arabs Mm. so you could minister to the expat Arabs we
2: uh, yeah yeah, there were there were restrictions and once in a while we've we felt the, the presence of uh (laughs) Surveillance. <laughs> they, <laughs> uh, but they, I wanted you to know before we go too much further that uh, the man who, who passed on his father's uh, counsel that we could even have a building that we used for our prayers and nobody had to live there, but uh, it had to look like a house, not like a church. Mm-hmm. That man is now the president of the UAE. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. And, uh, um, and uh, we've just had the, 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 I have to, we have to acknowledge the place that was filled by hospital workers and early pioneers mm-hmm. in, in uh, doing what they did in the name of Christ. And uh, we cannot brag about the results, although there, there are a lot of tremendous results. Very impressive results.
1: Uh, so, what happened in Dubai? You went there in '88. I went yes. in '88.
3: Yeah. yeah. And we we found a little a group of mainly Egyptians, some other countries too, but they were praying together and having a Bible study. So we joined them, and um, they became the core then of the Arab Church that developed and there was an international church in Dubai and they decided to uh, rent a house for their meetings and we were about a block away from them where we lived. We thought, hmm, that's interesting. Well, Carl got the uh, Arabs that were in of to uh, agree to come and also have church where the internationals were. That brought the two churches together, and it wasn't easy for them to appreciate each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that was the starting then. The, that bonding was the start of going and asking for a land to do an official church. Uh, one In could Dubai. Have had a In steep, Dubai. Yes. yes.
1: Uh-huh. They did that, have a cross. I'm assuming that's a different sheikh.
3: Yes. Yes, it is. It was for another yeah. emirate, Yes. Yeah.
1: So. I mean,
2: the uh, the UAE government covered it all, but the family, the ruling family, was a different family, okay. and they also had their own history of connections with with Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, some, of British, some of the British. Some of the British people who came in years before were obviously believers, and uh, although they didn't start meetings. They left an impression that uh, the Lord used to make these people open. Hmm.
3: <laughs> so when we did get the land in Dubai to build a church structure, they, um, they built a building that uh, would ha- and had three halls. The largest hall could seat a 1,000. The two smaller halls were 350. And they were all three full every morning on Friday when that's the day off, that's the day we worshipped. And they'd go out and another three churches would come in, and they'd go out and another three churches would come in. These were Filipinos, uh, um, Koreans, uh, Iranis, Uh um, and Indians, several Indian language groups Uh used it. um,
1: so lot, there were a bunch of different churches. Yes. Yeah, there were.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I suppose there were a half dozen churches meeting in the early days of the Dubai Evangelical Church Center, which is what we call that building.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you can find that on the web if you look. Mm-hmm. And that's still there. You so yes. how long ago did you last visit?
3: Hmm, what was oh, About five years they ago. They brought us back no that, six times after we retired. Yeah. But, but uh, I think the last time they could see that it was maybe not wise to bring
1: us again. But I thought you went just a, not that long ago. I thought it was maybe two years ago. No, it's more than that. It's, it's been, been many many five years, or six years ago. Oh, gosh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. How time flies. It does fly.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but things have continued to prosper there. Yes. Oh, more than we could ever imagine.
3: And then there I've were churches blooming... Uh, that were using hotels.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, and that was, in a way, Well, like when it, with the church buildings we built, the um, government could send somebody out to check the parking lots and get the license numbers and check on who were they. And so when Muslims did come, then they got in trouble for that.
2: Some of them, depending on um, the family. Yeah, and like uh, the whole the the culture was not radical Islamic culture, and so mm-hmm. those uh, the spokesmen for that generally were not given you know a lot of space, mm-hmm. <coughs> a the, lot of attention.
3: The churches that were in the hotels, any Arab man could come in with Western clothes, and who knows what car he got out of, mm-hmm. you know, and the, so there was an advantage there, but they clamped down on that just recently.
1: Okay, so, so um, When you went there were a lot of there were Christians who went to be missionaries to Muslim countries
2: mm-hmm.
1: They they didn't tend to be able to accomplish that much that you could measure you know in terms mm-hmm. of churches and, and so they- to have to be able to plant up space for a few a few churches to meet and then go to another city mm-hmm. and then have a number of churches that's for mm-hmm. what happens often when most Muslim missionaries go to Muslim countries, that's pretty incredible
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. right and the populations of these places are not are not huge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's they're desert level populations so yeah. like how many people live in Dubai? Total. you mm-hmm. what the population of it is.
3: I don't know what the total uh, population is, but 20% of them are nationals, and the other 80% were
1: foreigners who for work. Okay, I see. So, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. okay, so wait, when did you guys retire?
2: We retired in 'o three, right? Okay.
3: I'd in, forgotten. <laughs> moved to Madison? Yeah. Yeah, Can we had already Madison?
2: established ourselves in Madison, unfurlows. Oh, I and see. And we came here... Um, basically, basically, mm-hmm. because our third son was living here at that time, and uh, he was in a cooperative housing thing with other guys, and <coughs> he talked to them and he said, "Well, why don't you guys find another place? I want to bring my folks here." So <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, we we did that, and uh, I guess they must have found other places.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Three of our children live here in Madison, so that. Yeah, And Hel- we actually, one furlough, we, we asked for uh, a two-year period off. Uh, my father had a terminal condition, and we took care of him. And he had married Carl's mother. So it was kind of uniquely <laughs> on us, you know. Yeah. And so we had that two years in Madison. And uh, kids went to college here. And so roots went down.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: So from that time on then Madison became our home area we mm-hmm. we uh, bought a house under construction finished it ourselves I have some uh, carpentry skills and experience mm-hmm. and uh, and other you know mechanical type things that i learned how to do over the years as, as a boy from the farm-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was where we were up until how many years ago, eight years ago, I guess, we, uh...
3: 2011 we moved to a condo. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> so, I remember that. Yeah. So you, how long have you been part, been part of High Point, since 03?
3: Yes, since
1: 2003. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Carl served on the elder board for a mm-hmm. good bit of that?
2: Yeah, I served a full term, I think. Or, no, I couldn't have been a full term because we were long at home that long. But okay, mm-hmm. uh, okay,
1: so you've also, as of this year, been married sixty years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's 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 mm-hmm. a lot of years. In most yeah. people's minds, yeah. uh, part of the secret, of course, is marrying young and surviving. Mm-hmm. But there's probably more to, to it than that. So um, mm. what do you, what would you tell people about? Because also people realized that living internationally, and then you had four boys. Mm-hmm. No, you have a daughter too. Four boys, four and boys, a girl. and a girl. So five children. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, living internationally. hmm In a time where there weren't a lot of luxuries when you lived internationally, mm-hmm. being away from family. Mm-hmm. So, th- so you're probably not. That's not an easy way mm-hmm. to be married. So, what would you tell people? Well,
2: I mean we didn't have the noise that uh, people today hear that uh, oh marriage is nice if it works for you, and if not you know there's an easy way out there are several doors out mm-hmm. and uh, we we grew up with a completely different idea that marriage somehow was something that you undertook under God mm-hmm. and uh, and then you had no business um, deciding when the end was mm-hmm. um, so that was that was a good base yeah and beside that of course who would want to leave a woman like this <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I loved her yeah. do. and uh, did you ha- were there any times uh, where you learned really big lessons, like if something was not working and (coughs) you sorted it out and it was a big learning moment for you, or was it pretty just ordinary making your gut checks each day as time went along?
3: Well, there were times when the pressures on Carl to do so many different, do this and this and this and this and this, this, there was no end to it. Uh, That was very hard for me. And he just felt so responsible in all these areas. He he had been asked to do, you know. Mm-hmm. I was going to say uh, offered to do, but it wasn't that. It was
1: by elected. The mis- by the mission, was, mission agency he had been asked to do it?
3: Uh, yeah, by the field uh, council. and
1: Yeah, the mission leadership. Yeah,
3: sometimes yeah. he was the chairman of the field, and uh-huh. he was the head of the hospital, and we were in church ministry.
1: Uh-huh.
3: And uh, then there was the Council of Evangelical Churches, which has been a very wise thing that he started, and he was the head of that for for some time too. And so there were so many things, mm-hmm. plus the pastoral um, t- churches that we were trying to help the couples that were there. It was difficult for them. They were not, the Arabs from these other. Middle Eastern Levant areas were not used to leaving home mm-hmm. and not having. I mean, they often, when they marry, they live with the husband's family. You know, mm-hmm. so they were really out there on a limb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they needed mm-hmm. help. Yeah.
1: Is there anything else you want to tell our mm-hmm. our listeners about what you've learned over the years? Do you have any, like, pieces of advice?
3: Well, just when things come in front of you, um, at least for us as missionaries in that situation, you just have to do it. You just can't say, well, somebody else can do this job, because Mm -hmm. there isn't anyone else, often. And uh, one time about the hospitality thing, A ship, the O.M. ship, you've heard of, came into the Gulf, and they wouldn't let them dock at the port, but they had Bibles to sell, so they were going to need a place to live. Well, we invited 13 of them to live in our house. That was one of my. I don't think too much before Mm -hmm. I open our doors. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And. uh, that's always a blessing and then I thought where are we could get the money to feed 13 people here. And then Lord, just the people in the Arab church started bringing stuff in. they never did that, bringing milk and crates of fruit and you know, they got into it too. They saw the need too, and God saw us through the supplying of their their meals and stuff.
2: Um, okay. I guess I guess the big thing that uh, that boggles my mind is uh, without knowing what we were doing, uh, what we were involved in, the Lord has blessed it in such a marvelous way. You know, the church in the UAE is a is a model, widely recognized in the Arab world as. Uh, yeah, as, a, as a, 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 a creation that God put together, mm-hmm. and is blessing many people. And so the two major church groups that we had a part in establishing both their facilities and their uh, and their uh, way of worship and their their original historical roots. Uh, one of them in the Dhabi and one in Dubai. And uh, the Abu Dhabi uh, facility and the Dubai facility both have, according to their reports, not our counting, but their reports, uh, 5,000 people every week coming through that facility. Wow. That's maybe 15 or 20 different congregations. Wow. (laughs) And, you know, we didn't know what God was doing, but He knew what He was doing. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it sounds like you, you keep answering these questions with essentially a way of saying faith and faithfulness. Mm-hmm. That you had to have faith to step out and do things and take responsibility for what you thought God wanted you to do. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the perfect little thing you felt called to, but you got called to a place, mm-hmm. and then you looked to what needed to be done, and then you just did it. Mm-hmm. And then you did that for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And that's really all. And that God then God did a bunch of things oh my God, opened did. doors, changed yeah. people's hearts yeah. led you to new opportunities yeah. so that you can look back now and see really amazing things. I think that's really important for some of the younger people um, one to consider just to be be awake to the reality that Christ mm-hmm. is trying to, is working through us to win all peoples to Himself, and some yeah. people will be senders, and some people will become cross-cultural missionaries, mm-hmm. and that it just has to be done. Someone has to choose to do it. It mm-hmm. takes sacrifice mm-hmm. and faith and faithfulness. People have gone before them mm-hmm. to do it. People still with us, still in our mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. Um, other people who have generations past have gone, mm-hmm. and. Um, Wherever we are that those sorts of things make our marriages. They make our ministries and Hopefully they make up our our lives Mm. And it it sounds like from both of you. It comes from a place of Mm. Having come to believe and trust and love Mm. Jesus Mm. All these years
3: And seeing that that was what he's called his disciples to do go into all the world preach the gospel to all people
2: Uh Mm. So You know, when I think about God's calling on us, I think, well, he didn't look around for the most talented or the most best trained or the, I don't know what he was looking for, but he did give us an assignment to do what didn't seem like us to to be a big deal. But it has become a big deal uh, because he was, he was the, Planner and the provider for the whole thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think it's important for every Christian to see that all great things are broken down into ordinary steps of faith and trust. Mm-hmm. And the the I, I tell people all the time that. There is, no, there is no glamorous thing. Even the President of the United States mm-hmm. has to get up in the morning and take a shower and get dressed and read his reports and meet, do his meetings. and mm-hmm. It's all the same sort of things. There's, mm-hmm. There is no human calling that isn't full of lots of repetitive actions mm-hmm. towards some end that you believe you're there for. Mm-hmm. I think that's true of marriage and parenting and missionary work and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. And I think that when you accept that that's what your life is made up of, and then you give yourself to do it well, whether you're milking cows or building a house or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. learning Arabic, that its they're all similar in a certain way, and you can live your whole mm-hmm. life by that same sort of principle. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if you're listening, I hope that you found this really encouraging. If you don't know who Barb and Carl are, feel free to ask me, and I'll point them out to you. And um, there are treasures in our church that um, you should beg to take out to lunch or something and hear some more of their story. But guys, thanks so much for being here. Mm, and we're you so glad that the you're, opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. We're so glad you're part of our church and that people can learn from you and mm. and know you. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Bye bye.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip Podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps that are like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.